Well, we do appreciate the uh, Harvest Land volunteers that serve faithfully, many of them every week serve our kids, and I'm not sure that uh, Bon Jovi is always the best way to acknowledge our gratefulness, but uh, that, was, that was pretty creative. Um, well, we are in the last uh, weekend of a series, uh, as Doug mentioned, we've been going through in the summer uh, called Pictures of Life, and we've been studying through the parables that Jesus taught, uh, really because, because at the bottom line, we believe that Jesus is the smartest guy that ever lived, and uh, he, when he spoke and taught about God and about relationships and truth and life, People around him in his culture just said, this guy gets it. He understands. And what was amazing about Jesus is he would take very complex truths, spiritual truths, mysterious truths, and he would make them very understandable by throwing them alongside of the normal, ordinary stuff of life. That's what a parable means, to throw alongside of. And so he would take ordinary things of life, farming and relationships and neighbors, and he would, he would use those as pictures to help people understand the deeper truths of life. This week we want to look at a picture from a dinner party. That's why the stage is set up as it is. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to Luke 15, or Luke 14, I'm sorry, Luke 14, verse 15. If you don't, we are going to put it on the screens because we want everybody to be able to follow along. But I do want to just say at the very beginning of the series, I encouraged you to bring your Bibles every week. And I, uh, I noticed that there are some of you that did that every week. You brought them with you. And I want to just give you a shout out. I'm proud of you for doing that. Um, here's the setting of this parable. Jesus at the table uh, at a banquet, uh, and the text says he's at the banquet of a prominent Pharisee. And so these are the A-listers of his day. These are the educated, these are the affluent, these are the influential, these are the power people of his culture. And as you can imagine in a setting like that, there's a posturing going on and there's image management and there's impression management going on in a room like that with those kind of power players and Jesus has been teaching informally at the table. And then one guy who I think, as you'll see as I read what he says, he's what we would refer to technically as a brown noser or a kiss-up. Uh, he says this in verse 15. When one of those at the table uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now here, here's, what, here's what he's saying. In the Old Testament... The idea of a banquet or a feast was a very common metaphor or picture of God's kingdom, the place where God uh, reigned, where, he, where his presence dwelt. The banquet was about the restoration of all things and the establishment of a new community here on this earth of peace and joy and love. So to be invited to eat at the messianic banquet was to receive salvation and fullness of life. That's what the Jewish people understood. And this was a repeated reference throughout the whole Old Testament. Let me give you one example. Isaiah 25, there's a whole bunch of these examples in the Old Testament. Here's one. Uh, Isaiah says, Here on uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the Lord Almighty will spread a wondrous feast for everyone around the world, a delicious feast of good food with clear, well-aged wine and choice beef. Just stop right there. You notice the, the kind of things that are served at this feast. This is not lean cuisine feast. This is no tofu, no sugar-free, no fat-free. This is big old, you know, rich cuts of meat. This is uh, well-aged wine. This is an entire box of Twinkies, and you will not gain any weight. And I know you're not an amen saying church, but that should get you at least something. I mean, in my opinion. There you go. So, uh, verse 7, at that time he will remove the cloud of doom, the pall of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away all tears and take away forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. This is quite a feast, a banquet. The Lord has spoken, he will surely do it. In that day the people will proclaim, this is our God in whom we trust, for whom we waited. Now at last he is here. What a day of rejoicing. 
This is a feast, a party. It's, it's a party of, of richness. It's over the top. It's of extravagance. God's kingdom has come to earth. His will will prevail. The days are coming, Isaiah says. And they will be days of great joy. And note Isaiah says that who's invited to this party? Everyone around the world, he said in verse 6. Or verse, uh, verse 6, yeah. All peoples, it's sometimes translated, all nations. In fact, in just a few verses in Isaiah 25, the word all is used five times. This party is not limited guest-wise in terms of ethnic background or racial background or social background or economic background or whether you're a good person or a bad person or a religious person or a non-religious person. God's desire, God's passion is that all of his open chairs be filled. But as often happens in religion, people start to get exclusive and they start to draw lines. Who's in and who's out? The J Jews decided there would be no Gentiles at this banquet. There would be no sinful people at this banquet. And so on and so on. And that's the setting. Here's a dinner party in Jesus' day. And around the table, sure enough, there are no sinful people. And there are no Gentiles. And probably not even any women. And so this guy is sitting here who's rich and affluent and powerful and influential. And he makes this kind of pious cliche Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And the implication is, everybody around this table, we're all good to go. We're clearly the ones that are invited to the feasts of all feasts, God's feast. And clearly those who are not around this table are clearly those not invited to the feasts of all feasts. God wouldn't want them around his table. So Jesus says, let's be clear about God's banquet. Let's be clear about how many open chairs there are at God's banquet. Let's be clear about how much God longed for them all to be filled. And so he launches into this parable, our last parable of the series. Verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. There's the first invitation. At the, at the time of the banquet, he sent a servant out to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So now there's a second invitation. This is the way lavish feasts in the ancient uh, world would work. There was a double invitation. In verse 16, you get this invitation that goes out, and that's in order for the host to get a count of who's coming. Because he had to harvest the food, he had to butcher animals. It was a week, sometimes month process to get prepared for this, this big feast. You couldn't refrigerate like we can now. So the invitation would go out, and you would be expected to RSVP, either yes or no. In fact, it would be considered incredibly rude not to RSVP immediately. And then once you've RSVP'd, you're committed. But the host can't say, just show up at 7 o'clock on so-and-so a night because there are no clocks in the ancient culture. So he would say, this is the date for you to come. And when the food is ready, I will send my servant out because it would be an all-day preparation experience. I'll send my servant out to come tell you when the food, the banquet is all ready. See, this is really important. This is kind of a crux of the story. To say yes when the initial invite goes out. To say, yes, I'll be there at the banquet. And then to not show up at the last minute when the banquet is ready would be unthinkable in the ancient culture. And it's really important you understand the implications of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is making a very, very powerful statement that would be very apparent to those listening and needs to be clearer to us. Jesus is speaking within the stream of the Jewish culture, Old Testament culture that he's in at the time. Again, where the banquet, the feast, was a picture of God's banquet, the messianic banquet, the coming of salvation, the coming of God's kingdom. The first invite has gone out, Jesus is saying. 
Hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, first to Abraham and then to Moses and then David, the covenant with the people of Israel. And God was saying to the people of Israel, my banquet is under preparation. Salvation, life in the kingdom, life in fullness, life of love and joy, life filled with all the fat things of life, it's coming. It's coming, so get ready. God says, I'm working on it. He says it over and over to the people of Israel. And for centuries, the people of Israel read these words and dreamt about what this banquet would look like. And they prayed for it to come. And the prophets tried to paint pictures for, uh, uh, for, uh, for the people to remind them what this would look like and challenge them to be ready for it. And then one day, in a tiny town called Nazareth, in, in, Nazareth, in an obscure part of the Roman world, a peasant carpenter begins to teach. And he said these words, which began his ministry in Mark chapter 1, The time is fulfilled. Everything that has to happen has happened. The kingdom of God, that's the feast, is at hand. It's right here. Repent. Change the way you're thinking and believe. Place your trust in the gospel, the good news. And what is the good news? That the kingdom of God, the banquet, has now been made available to everyone through Jesus. Jesus comes and he starts to proclaim this. And then he has these corresponding acts of power and miracles that goes along with his teaching, and people start flocking to Jesus. And a lot of the folks flocking to Jesus are a little bit shady, and some of them are a lot shady. And the question is asked, when is this party going to start, Jesus? This party that's been prophesied for centuries, this feast, this lavish celebration, when is it going to start? And Jesus says, it starts now. I'm it. The party is started. The great feast has begun. If you want to know life in the kingdom, life at its fullness, just come to me and accept me as your teacher and your savior and your friend. See, this is not just a nice story about God. Jesus is claiming to be the epicenter of human history, the salvation of the human race. Jesus says, what you see in my life and hear in my teaching is the kingdom of God, life everlasting. It's the best offer you're ever going to get. Anyone who has me has life, he said. This is the party the world has been hoping for and waiting for and yearning for, and it's here. I'm it, Jesus says. That's the claim that Jesus is making in this story, and it was radical to the ears of his listeners. This is the banquet you've been waiting for, and it started. This is your chance at life. So the second invitation goes out. Jesus says, I'm here. Now you can receive the, the, the banquet that you've been invited to. The servant goes out to the people who have already been committed to go. Okay, now the day has arrived. The banquet is ready. But here's where the story starts to go wrong. It goes unbelievably and horribly wrong. Because those that have already committed to go say at the last minute, they're not going to show up. And they start to make excuses. Look at verse 18. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. You would not buy land in this culture and not go see it. This is a country where land was very limited and it was a very precious resource. Buying land without looking at it just was not done. It would be the equivalent of you saying, I just bought a $700,000 home in Baltimore, never been there, never seen online, never talked to a real estate agent, just saw a text thing, on, so I bought it. I hope it's in a decent neighborhood and in decent shape. You just wouldn't do that. That would make no sense. It's, this is ridiculous, and that's the point. This is a bald-faced lie, and the speaker knows it, and the host knows it. Verse 19. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, five yoke of oxen was a huge investment. It would be like a farmer saying, I just purchased five brand new John Deere combines. I'm going to go make sure they have engines in them. 
No, you would check that out ahead of time. Again, this is a ridiculous excuse, and the host knows it. Then the third excuse in verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Actually, that just got married can, it can also be translated, I married a woman. I don't know what that means. Uh, you can just decide what you think it means. But it's interesting. Certainly, this guy knew he was getting married when he got the first invitation. I mean, these were arranged marriages in the ancient world. Sometimes they were arranged for years in advance. He knew he was getting married. Plus, I want you to note that this last guy is not even polite enough to ask to be excused. He just declares, I'm not coming. The point is that these are not legitimate excuses. This is not a story about people who really want to be there but can't make it due to emergencies. These are people who are deliberately attempting to snub the host. And they intend to publicly reject him and thereby embarrass him. And ultimately, they don't want the party to happen. See, Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is at hand. What the human race has been waiting for is here. And anyone can just walk right in, no matter where they've been or what they've done. And they can come in and take a seat at the table. And the religious people of his day don't like this at all. And they start making excuses. They say things like, I'm not going to follow this Jesus guy. I think he's possessed by a demon. I'm not going to follow this Jesus guy. I think he's a drunkard and a glutton. This Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's defiled by their lifestyle. He's a half-breed. He's from Nazareth of Galilee. Nothing good could come out of Galilee. These are actual things that were said about him. What they want to do is put an end to his party. What they really think is, there can't be a party without us at the table. And the question you need to be asking, the question that all of the listeners would be asking is, how will the host respond to these excuses? Will Jesus be less seeker-friendly to placate his A-list people? But they don't understand the master's heart. The master looks around at all the empty chairs, and he wants them all to be filled. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to the master, but then the owner of the house became angry. He became, the actual word is enraged, with violent passion, and ordered his servant, go out quickly. There's a sense of urgency. Run and do this into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are the, the, really the categories of the beggars of the ancient culture. These are clearly not the A-listers. No one has a party for these folks. They would be considered riffraff. They're the rejects of his world. Think about it. one of the things that's kind of common sense when you have a formal party is you invite people that you can gain something from their attendance. You know, it's a I'll scratch your back, you can scratch mine kind of a deal. Political dinners, state dinners, big corporate affairs. You get something from the folks that you invite. These folks know full well they have nothing to offer. They can bring no housewarming gift. There's no way they can reimburse the host. This is all on the host. This party is sheer grace. And I want you to picture them in the banquet hall of this lavish mansion. Sitting in chairs they never thought they'd sit in and a table they never thought they'd ever have a place at. Eating food and drinking wine they never thought they'd have access to. I want you to imagine the nervous laughter around the table. What are we doing here? We don't belong here. This morning I was picking food out of the dumpster. Now I'm eating caviar and Chateaubriand and drinking Dom Perignon. I don't belong here. This is crazy. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I, just very graciously from some friends of ours, surprised us. We had uh, three little children at the time. We still have three children. We haven't deposited some along the way, but they're not as little. But we had three very little uh, children at the time, and uh, these folks, I think, felt sorry for us and some other uh, friends of ours. And so they surprised us one, 
one day uh, as a gift, an anniversary or something, with a weekend uh, at the Four Seasons in downtown Chicago. Never stayed at a place like that. And we showed up, you know, and we're walking in and just the chandeliers and the opulence and the elegance. And we walk up to the check-in counter and the guy behind the counter starts to check us in. And then he sneezed. And then he looked at me with this terror and he said, I am so sorry, Mr. Carter. If you would like another attendant, please tell me and I'll go get someone else. I'm like, you're good, man. You know, I was... Uh, and I just walking around the place, and they, they had all these little refrigerators everywhere with water bottles with a little label on it and fresh squeezed orange juice. And I remember asking at one time, because you, you know how you go to the, the hotel and has the water bottle on the counter, and then you open it, and it costs $14. You know how you, so I thought, I don't want to fall for that. So I asked somebody, are those complimentary? And they said, yeah. So, like, we had a suitcase with, uh, full of water bottles when we left. It was like, hey. Save a couple trips to Sam's. Um, it was just a, it was amazing that the, and they had arranged for us to get a, 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 Heather and I to get a massage while we were there. And so we go down and they give us robes and, you know, juice and Helga comes in and massages. It was awesome. But the whole time we kept thinking, what are we doing here? We don't belong in a place like this. That's what the parable is saying. They don't belong there. It's just the gracious, generous heart of the master. And that's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God, that all of us, none of us belong there. But we're all invited to this banquet of fat things, given forgiveness and grace and love and joy and community and eternal life and purpose. And it's all personified in this guy, Jesus, who welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. So even beyond the city, the implication is first he said, go to the alleys and the streets. Now he says, go to the roads and country lanes. Go outside of town. Go to the strangers. Go to the people who are different from us and make them come in. Some translations say, compel them to come in. And this is my favorite line in the whole parable. So that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word compel or make them come in does not mean to force against their will. In the ancient Middle East, if you received an invitation to an event that was above your status or your caste, you were expected to refuse uh, as a kind of a matter of good form. You were supposed to understand your place. So the typical response is, well, I appreciate the invitation, but that's not a place where I belong, so thank you, no. So the master is saying, don't take no for an answer. Yes, they're going to be worried they're out of place. Yes, they're going to feel like I'm a stranger. I don't even know this guy. Yes, I don't know why I've been invited. I'm confused. Don't take no for an answer. He tells his servant, don't accept that. See, the master understands that his grace will seem unbelievable to the recipients. He knows they won't fully understand why they've been invited. That It'll seem too easy. It'll seem like there's got to be some kind of catch. So he says, don't take no for an answer. I want them here. And God, in the same way, says, I want my table to be full. I want my house to be full. And he says to this little house, Hope Church, I want it to be full. I want every seat to be filled with someone that I've died for and that I love. Every seat full with somebody praising and worshiping and learning and seeking and growing and asking questions. Every seat in Harvest Land, our children's ministry. Every seat in the Edge, our teen ministry. I want my house, my table to be full. And so he says to his servants, go out at once and search the streets and the lanes for anyone and then go farther into out into the country, out in the beyond areas and compel them to come in. Don't take no for an answer. I love them too much to have them miss the party of all parties. For the time we have left, I want to get really practical for us. Around the table that we have here, you'll see many different kinds of chairs, and that was done on purpose. It's done to help us visualize 
who we can invite to the table, who we can invite to the party. And as I walk around the table here in just a moment and talk about each chair, I want to urge you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and prompt to you, you to some people that are in your life that you can pray for as God bring them to, brings them to mind. And I ask you to be intentional about what each individual person's next step may be and how you can help them take it so they can come find their place at the banquet. The first chair I have set up over here is an office chair. And this represents those people that we would know from our work environments. Many of us uh, work in offices or other kinds of work environments where we work with people who don't know that they have a place at the table. And maybe they seem too busy. Maybe you've engaged in conversation with them and they seem like they're just not interested. Maybe um, you've prayed for somebody for many years. I talk to people all the time, say, I've prayed for my boss for a long time and he just never seems to open up. But you never know what will trigger something with someone. A friend of mine was telling me recently, he said, I had a guy that he, he worked with. He said that if you gave me a list of people and told me to list the people I thought would be completely always just completely closed off to God in any way, this, he would be the top of my list. He was a devout atheist. He was very anti-church, thought all Christians were weak and stupid. Worked with this guy for years. Very professional, great guy, excellent worker. Very opposed to God. He said, I decided to invite him to the leadership summit, and he came. He said he didn't really have that great of experience. It was a little too churchy for him. A couple months later, he said he came into his office and said, can I talk to you? My friend said, yeah. He said, I feel like there's something missing in my life. He said, I'm successful. I've got money, good family. My career is just everywhere I want it to be. I mean, but I look at you and there's something you have that I don't have. And I'm wondering maybe if it's about the God thing. Will you talk to me a little bit about that? And they began a journey. They're on this journey together now, reading through books like by C.S. Lewis and others exploring what God would mean in his life. You just never know with somebody when they're going to be open. So who sits in this chair in your life? Are you praying for them on a regular basis? Are you engaging when opportunities make it appropriate to talk about spiritual things? Do they know they have a place at the table? The next chair is a rocking chair. There's two different people I want you to imagine. Maybe for some of you, it's you're younger and you have young kids and you know other moms, moms with young kids. When, I was, uh, when our kids were little, we have um, three kids. Our youngest two are 14 months apart. And when, when Bennett was about two and a half and Emma was one, I would come home from work and my wife would be literally on the verge of breaking down. She'd say, I can't do this anymore. I understand how it is when young moms are in that state. And they're just wiped out and exhausted and they don't have time to think about spiritual things. They're just trying to get through the day. Do you know somebody in that place in life that you can serve, that you can pray for, that you can love on? Or maybe you fast forward to the other end of life. Maybe it's somebody who's an older person that's sitting in a chair like this. And they're retired and they think life has passed them by and they don't really have much of a purpose on this planet anymore, at least they think. And you can invite them to the table, let them know that God still has a purpose for them. There's more to life than just being born, growing up, raising some kids, making some money, retiring. There's more to it than that. So who sits in a chair like that in your life? And are you praying for them? Have you invited them? Are you building a relationship? Maybe giving some tapes or books, talking about spiritual things with them. The next chair over here is the kind of chair that we would sit in when we would be in a recreational situation kind of an outdoors chair. This is the kind of person that you would have a barbecue with, maybe a neighbor. Maybe it's people that you do sports leagues with your kids with them. Maybe you do sports on your own with them. You know, play golf, play, you go bowling, whatever. But these are the kind of people we recreate this with. Who sits in that kind of a chair with you? 
We, we try to provide opportunities um, for you to, to mix with people. Uh, to create some spiritual connection just around having fun. One of the things that was very cool was a couple weeks ago, we, the Springfield Youth Football, which we host on our property, had their jamboree here, and there's like several thousand people here, some pictures uh, on the screen just of that event. I mean, it's hard to even get a sense of because it spreads all around this way and this way, but there were literally like 5,000 people here over the course of that weekend from the community. And we had 40-some hope folks that went out just to love on people and serve them bottles of water and care for people to say there's some people in this kind of a chair that I want them to know that they have a place at the table. You can form a dodgeball team to be part of our dodgeball league. You can go play paintball. You can actually just go serve in those areas if you don't play one of those things. All of those folks that are running those sports as a ministry here at Hope are looking for people to just come out and mingle and mix and love on people and serve them. All of us probably know people that sit in that kind of a chair in our life. Are you praying for them? Are you engaging? Have you invited the, the next chair is um, kind of a formal dining room chair, and this represents like the honored guests at God's table. In the parable that Jesus taught, he, he mentions specifically the poor and the broken and the hurting, the crippled. Those are the honored guests at the banquet of God. And so my question is, do you have people in your life that are poor, that are broken, that are hurting, that have significant needs, whether they be spiritual, emotional, physical, economically? Are you investing in serving and building into them? Got a letter from someone in our church, uh, Susie Hoffman. She said this recently. What a Sunday experience we had today at Hope. First we arrived a little late. Oops. We sat way up front because uh, people, had, uh, people were standing and singing when we walked in. We listened to a great message by Phil Childs. And as people were walking out, we lingered and listened to the last song. As the song was winding up, Nick Stiakovich happened to walk down in front of us. I had sent him an email last week making a request on behalf of a member of Hope who used to stay at Contact Ministries, which is a partner ministry we have in town. Her car is broken down and she has extensive repairs, uh, extensive expenses to fix the repairs. Nick stops by and asks me about a return email, which I did not receive. We discussed the mom and explained that my husband John is trying to help her get a credit rating established. She's currently paying 199% interest on a small loan along with her car issues. With that, Nick uh, let us know that the Caring Food would help her out with a donation toward her car. Carl, Carl Johnson, a member of Hope, is fixing her car and also helping her out. Feeling pumped about that, we walk out in the lobby and talk to Bill Kinzer. He wants to let us know that he's still working on the church van and getting drivers to pick up folks at Contact Ministries and bring them to Hope so they can be a part of worshiping with us on the weekend. He also has a TV in his car that he would like to donate. We sign up to help Bill with the football jamboree, which you see pictures of. Then Bill says that some of the men of Hope, including Tim Hennessy, did in fact purchase a car for Margaret. Margaret, who has just moved out of Contact Ministries, is making payments on the car. We discuss how much Tim is doing for Margaret, and they helped her find work as a cleaning person, and she's working for Tim and some of Tim's friends. This was all in about a 15-minute span. I just think it's so amazing how God is working through the people of Hope and changing the lives and showing people who really need help that God is good. Do you have a place at your table for some of those honored guests and are you serving them? The last chair I want to focus on is, this is a chair from our lobby. I wanted to use a chair from the auditorium, but those seem to be bolted down, so I went with this. Um, but there are folks that come here every weekend that God is doing some pretty amazing things in their life. There are folks that are sitting in those chairs, sitting out in these chairs, who it's their very first weekend or they're pretty new to this place or maybe God has been speaking to them and they're just waiting for somebody to come up and introduce themselves and connect with them and get to know them. Just invite them in to the family to be a part of the table. 
I don't know if, you, if you've ever thought about this, but some things happen to people while they're sitting in those chairs that you're sitting in. I want you to think about this right now, but there very well may have been over the last several years as we've done worship services every weekend here at Hope, somebody's sitting in the very chair that you're sitting that for the very first time they really understood how much God loves them as they sat in that chair. Or maybe for the very first time they really understood that the past that they've struggled with forever was truly forgiven and they were free from it. Or maybe they were able to forgive someone for the very first time. Maybe in, in the chair that you're sitting in, someone realized for the very first time that they had an eternal sense of purpose, that God had called them to do something unique and special on this planet. Maybe they realize that for the very first time in the chair you're sitting in. Maybe for the very first time in the chair that you're sitting in, somebody had the doubts that they've struggled with for a long time finally addressed. Or maybe they felt the sting of conviction over a relationship that wasn't the way it's supposed to be or a habit that was where it wouldn't, shouldn't have been or maybe financial mismanagement that had gone on in their life. And they, for the very first time, heard God speak to them about these things and challenge them to change. Maybe for the very first time in the chair that you're sitting in, somebody said yes to God for the very first time. Will you pray for those that come here every weekend? Will you re reach out to people that are here every weekend? Will you that are already here, a part of hope, a party at the table, part, a part of the table, will you reach out to others who are checking the table out to make sure they have a place? Will you invite those who have never come to know they have a place at the table? Jesus said, I want my house to be full. And Jesus said, I want you guys Consider yourselves co-hosts of this amazing party so that everybody knows they have a place and is welcome. God says, I have a lot of chairs around my table. The banquet is not yet full. And that's why we keep inviting even when we're rejected. That's why we keep serving kids in Harvest Land and greeting people at the doors and serving coffee and serving behind the scenes and tech ministries and all the other ways people serve. And that's why we sacrifice our time and our talents and our treasures because the master says, I want my house to be full. Compel them to come in. Bring in the blind and the crippled and the hungry and the lame. Bring in the doubting and the confused and the lonely and the lost. Bring in the stubborn and the cynics and the difficult and the proud and the helpless and the hopeless and the poor and the rich and the have-nots and the have way too much. Bring them in. Keep a chair out for every one of them. Don't be discouraged by excuses. Don't take no for an answer. Don't stop praying. Don't stop searching. Don't stop inviting. Compel them to come in. Because this is the party to end all parties. I want my house to be full. And you and I, we're co-hosts with the master of the party of all time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that I have a place at the table. I, like every single one of us in this room, doesn't belong there, doesn't deserve to be there, and yet in your grace, I'm invited. And Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that there were people in my life that made sure that I knew that I had a place at the table, that it didn't matter where I'd been or what I'd done, that I was welcome, an honored guest, God, as we conclude this series, I guess that, um, if we don't get anything out of this as a church other than this, I hope that we will remember as a church that our job is not to come in to the, to the banquet that we are all invited to and take our seat and gorge ourselves at the feast. 
But instead, our job is to come in and link arms with the master and be co-host to make sure that everybody approaches that feels welcome and everybody that doesn't even approach, that doesn't know to approach in the alleys and in the streets and in the country lanes and out far away that they know they have a place at the table. God, help us to keep that front and center to know that that is the purpose of this place so that your house may be full. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.